Hey, Matthew. Yeah? <sighs> Fucking Putin, man. Podcast Yggdrasil. And we are back. Yes. Yes, it's a new episode. We haven't been conquered by Russia yet. I was about to say we haven't been denazified, but... <laughs> uh, sorry, denazified. I mean, there are obviously freeing people, you know, with their insane levels of violence and Explosions. despicableness. Fucking Putin, man. <sighs> Fucking boiled potato, man. Okay, so, war in Ukraine. War in um, our time. Yeah. I mean, I almost, I almost fell into the trap of saying it's been a while since we had a war, but, I mean... We're all, we always have war. We just care a little bit more about this one. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's happening to, you know, white people closer to home. So we care more. I, have you thought about that at all? You know, the, the fact that the world is really coming together behind Ukraine right now. And, yeah, the humanitarian crisis part of this war is, you know, really being played up. And, I mean, it is a humanitarian crisis, of course. But I can understand if there are a few Syrians, Afghanis, Iraqis, who feel a bit snubbed, maybe, <laughs> when it comes to sympathy and empathy. Yeah, um, it's like the, the, the people who are, like, screaming the hardest of being, uh, you know, anti-immigration in Norway and, you know... Probably as well other places to like. Oh, don't get we, me started on my mom. We, we we really have to to greet these people with respect and take refugees. God damn it, Matthew! You had to go there. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it, it's just a, <sighs> th those are the easiest point because you know a lot of people like, for instance, you know people with you know similar political position as our own will will show sympathy <laughs> and they will have positions, but they would have those in other situations. But what you really can say is like you know the people who would say you know, maybe we should let them stay over there and help them here, or suddenly, oh no, come here, please, we have extra space. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like I said, uh, my mom, <laughs> I mean, I've said it before, my mom is a lovely lady, she's a really nice lady, this podcast notwithstanding, <laughs> but yeah, I visited, visited my mom uh, this last weekend, and um, we had a conversation about Ukraine, and, you know, do you remember when the refugee camp, the Moria camp in, um, in Greece burned down? Yeah. 20,000 people were left homeless. I mean, homeless again, more homeless than they were. They were already refugees in the refugee camp, and then they lost their refugee camp. Uh, I don't know if you remember, but there was talk of Norway taking maybe 50 of those refugees in. Yeah. You know, us being awesome. And, uh, yeah, a lot of Norwegians were hard against taking in anyone, including my mom. Uh, because why can't we help them down there? Andy, you don't understand their skin complexion doesn't match the snow we have here. Yeah, it's, it's really jarring. Yeah, but like I said, she's a great lady, but she has flaws like anyone. And, uh, yeah, uh, it's been hard not to point out that, hey... Aren't you being a little bit hypocritical right now? Because she wants to take in... I, I asked her, Hey, mom, do you think we should take in Ukrainian refugees? And she was like, Yeah, yeah, of course. We gotta be human, you know? Let's take all of them, except the black ones. <laughs> yeah. And then I was just met with, met with deafening silence when I 
you know, brought up the other refugees we have in the world. Hey, those Syrians, mom. You know, those people you want to help at home. <laughs> so, yeah. But let's get back to the meat of this thing. War. Yeah. Uh, Russia has invaded Ukraine. It's been coming for a while now. I mean, when did Russia start building up forces around their border? It was Christmas time, right? Yeah, Something like I think that. It was in December. Yeah, it's been a while. They they had a long vacation first. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I've made it. I I have a proud history of you know making bad predictions when it comes to world events. Uh, Last year, COVID will end in a month. <laughs> last year, or was it one year ago when um, when uh, the USA almost went to war with Iran, or was uh, it two years ago? It, I think it must have been two because uh, you know Trump was still president. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 It's probably two years, but yeah, I, I thought it, we would get a war with Iran, and I was wrong. I also thought Biden would, you know give up the presidency to Kamala Harris after a year. It's been a year. So I guess I should have just shut the fuck up when it came to this war because I said, nah, he's not going to invade. He's going to, you know, rattle some sabers at the border, then go home. And now they're in Ukraine. By the way, could you tell me what next weekend's lottery numbers will be so I can not use them? <laughs> 69, 69, 420. Yeah, so Russia is invading Ukraine. And yeah, we've been bombarded with coverage on this war. Not as much as Ukraine. <laughs> That's true. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. Is anyone else tired already? Uh, I had to have a talk with, um, with my girlfriend about this because she's really, really worried about, you know, the larger implications of this and where this might go and she's already you know hustling about trying to get uh, uh, you know tablets of yod I, I don't know what the word is in english but you know to fight off radio yeah uh, radio radiation see the mushroom cloud just pop a tablet <laughs> yeah uh, but yeah i had to tell her to hey you need to turn off the news just for a while because the coverage has been intense i don't know if you've been i mean you don't have a tv uh, I mean, they've been going hard, and it's you know this interesting thing because the media know that theoretically Ukraine could collapse at any moment. So you kind of have to cover the war like it's you know a big event, because I mean in, in some wars you will have natural like lulls and ups. There's like you know they clash, there's a big battle, they move on, you know they get stuck in. Um, position and then something happens but mm. here it's more like you know in theory or maybe not as much as now we will see but in theory the day the war started they were just like one breach into kiev away from just like you know taking the entire country and and that's kind of been the stalemate for the you know last couple of days so i understand that like the media has been like ready for whatever is happening but now it's i mean we have that big 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 movement of russian troops outside kiev so maybe that's going to do something but we we might be going into a more prolonged you know wearing down ukraine kind of situation instead yeah. of the blitzkrieg approach they started with yeah i mean i can only assume they want i mean it's only natural too that they they 
it seems like Russia were anticipating, you know, just rolling into Ukraine and taking control. Either, you know, taking control of Kiev and capturing Zelensky, President Zelensky, um, or killing him. And either, you know, taking full control of the country or installing a puppet regime and then pulling out later. Uh, and yeah, it's been difficult to follow this war, I think, because if you just look at the media coverage and social media buzz around it, uh, you do you get a real impression that uh, the invasion is failing. And I mean, it, it is in certain aspects, uh, but you get the you get the impression that Ukrainians are you know, fighting off the Russians and holding off the invasion and that they might win. But the reality is that if Russia decides to, you know, go for it, they can take Ukraine. It's just a matter of how much they lose and, yeah, how much they lose in terms of military and diplomacy. Yeah, as well as, you know, how... How visibly do you want your war crimes to be? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> because you know they've already been caught sending in you know Russian troops dressed uh, uh, disguised as Ukrainian troops, which I'm pretty sure breaks uh, breaks uh, the rules of the Geneva Convention. Um, and I mean, like you know, the Russian military, and I mean the Russian, as in you know the the post-Soviet. And it's not like, you know, they don't have a connection to the Soviet military, but more in the sense of, you know, the, the, the new military that has been built up. It's it's a military that, you know, are lacking in some areas, but have, you know, the shock and awe bombing factor. Like in the Chechen wars, which, you know, technically were kind of civil wars, depending on how you view it, since they were trying to get away from Russia, or I mean, I guess separatist wars. Nobody really cared because it, you know, it was Russia versus some bumfuck place in Russia, and they bombed the capital just to rubble and bones. So they can they can go hard if they need to go hard, but they know the yeah, world is watching. Yeah, will they? Is the question. And like you said, uh, Chechnya. I mean, <laughs> uh, not to be an asshole here, but have you ever heard anything good about Chechnya? Every time I hear about Chechnya, it's either you know, about war crimes in real life or someone is sending in a kill team in some action movie. <laughs> Nothing good comes out of Chechnya. Yeah. So, yeah, and also the, you know, social media coverage and in general wasn't the same back then. Uh, and Ukraine is a much more, you know, central European country. Uh, and I mean, some of this is probably also the credit to credit it's due with the you know uh, the nato strategy essentially being we're just gonna drop all our info in the media so the last two weeks before the invasion was just you know talking about this in the media so it wasn't like oh there's suddenly like people in ukraine it's a war it's everybody like i mean there were people you know not expecting it to happen like you said yourself but Everybody was already asking the question, what will happen in Ukraine? Hmm. Let's uh, try and take this in a certain order. Uh, how the invasion started, you know, uh, why? Why is this happening? I mean, the, the Russian propaganda highlights a bit of different things and they have moved around <laughs> on different points, so I... 
I feel knowing the true intention is probably a bit harder since it's not, you know, a clear message. You know, first it was, ah, uh, it's because of, you know, NATO expansion. And, you know, then it was, you know, we, we, we belong together because we're, you know, the same people. And then it was, you know, we need to denazify. Mm. I mean... We're just bringing peace to I, these two uh, regions that are uh, I think, in unrest. I think at heart it's just about power. Uh, it's about, you know, Putin needing to flex his muscles. And not in just in a, like, look at me, I'm such a great dictator kind of way, but more in a, you know... When you start struggling a bit at home, the easiest thing is to keep focus somewhere else. And, uh, you know... Just look at America. I mean, I don't think any wartime president has ever not been re-elected. Yeah, I mean, so, when when did people like Bush? It was when the war was happening because, yeah. you know, people rally behind the troops. And the idea here was probably, you know, you go into Ukraine, you show the world that you're tough. Hopefully you can get back political control and, you know, get a bigger sphere of influence as well as you know, looking better for the Russian people because the sanctions that been hitting Russia since, you know, they took Crimea, the average Russians, they, they have noticed it. The, the economy is not what it used to, like, the, the, the first part of, you know, Putin's presidency, you know, almost 20 years ago was basically, you know, yeah, I'm going to take some of your rights, but, you know, economy is doing well. And right now the economy isn't doing so well and they're <laughs> running out of rights. I got too many rubles! Rubles everywhere! They ain't worth shit! Yeah. Uh, the motivation behind this invasion is probably the biggest, you know, talking point among me and my friends and loved ones lately. Uh, what the motivation is, is the big question. And like I said, power. I mean, it's obviously about power, but more specifically, what lies behind it because is it just that he wants to expand you know russia as in expand expand their borders take control of natural resources is it to build up a buffer between russia and the eu and the nato is it to build up you know the old russian empire what is i mean what is putin thinking uh what is his is he a true believer in some kind of cause of some kind or is it just you know good old capitalist cynical power grab there's also you know another or is it, or is it a move of desperation of some kind that, yeah it's there, there's an other alternative here that i didn't mention which is some people have been speculating in this because the russian the russian troops who went in hmm. seemed not trained to do this, and I don't mean trained as in, you know, battle ready, but more in the, like, all of them believed they were j just doing exercises, and then suddenly they're like, yeah, we're going to war now. Yeah, there have been so, a lot of clips of Russian soldiers just saying, we don't know why we're here. <laughs> so there, there's a question going around that maybe, you know, he thought his posturing would getting something that he didn't get, and that kind of forced his hand to just, you know, okay, I guess a war can do it. It it feels weird because I feel like the it feels like that doesn't the demands the Putin we know. that came out felt very much decidedly made to be rejected. Yeah, 
yeah, they didn't seem like genuine demands that he believed in. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. I, I've always regarded Putin as, you know, a cold fish. <laughs> a guy who, I mean, he's KGB. A man like Putin. A man, a man like Putin. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's always seemed like the kind of guy who could just stare at the potato until it boils. He's a cold dude. Yeah, and um, I, I find it interesting because, you know, this is something you probably have observed as well, and I have different opinions on it, because if you look at how Putin has been treated by Western media, and I feel like... You I mean, mean in general or now lately? Uh, in general as well as now, I know we're basically I'm going to break down, you know, the history of it, but by all means, there's a lot of propaganda coming from, from Russia, there, there's also propaganda here in the West. Of course. And the, the interesting thing is that, you know, Putin first, he was like, you know, he was a Russian leader and, you know, we, we kind of looked more favorably upon him. And then he was like, oh, at least he's not an alcoholic like Yeltsin. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, as we grew into, you know, the more status quo we've been having for the last years, he's more and more been painted like this, you know, uh, ex-KGB authoritarian, you know, cold, really strategic guy. And you could really see a quick shift when the war, war break broke out, that it went from, you know, he's this cold, calculated guy with an endgame that plays, you know, people mm. up against each other to like, no, he looks at himself as a czar. He's like a Napoleon with a tiny man complex who needs yeah, to... Yeah, like, he's a megalomaniac. The, that changed overnight. And... Now he's the unraveling world leader who he's losing his mind by the day. Yeah, he's, people, the disloyalty is spreading in the Kremlin. And I'm always really careful when I see like the media just completely changing the narrative they're creating about a person like that. But there's also parts of me who has been thinking like, because we know people have issues in their life, you know, like. They uh, they might get, you know, dementia or they might, you know, get other things that have affected them. You know, it's been heavily speculated that, you know, the, the last part of George Bush's senior's oh. presidency that, you know, he didn't run shit and people just tried to make it pretend like he was functioning. And and we don't know this, but, you know, that begs the question, what happened if, some, if something like that were to happen to a dictator, which has like ultimate power? Yeah. Uh, because while Putin is in, in charge, in theory, like, you know, he could, things could happen to his health that makes him, you know, like, if he has, you know, a, like, a tumor inside of his head that could rationally fuck with the way he thinks, and, like, since he got shit on nukes, let's hope that's not the case. But, um, I mean, we'll have to see who he is in the end, because, like... Yeah, he might seem more crazy, but is that a performance to scare the West? Yeah, it's you hard know? to tell because you know he's always you know kept. He he's not a he doesn't really radiate a lot of personality, and that has allowed him to be interpreted interpreted as so many different things. He's a mastermind. He's a psychopath. He's a crazy guy he's i mean he can be anything but i think one thing we could say about not necessarily putin even though it probably affects him as well but i think his regime is getting old and i don't mean old in terms of like you know 
it, it's running out of time necessarily, but more like they're run by boomers mm. because they had good control of state media. They have played, you know, opposition's leaders well, but I feel like they have not paid attention to, you know, new media and new culture and, you know, the youth coming up. And that's probably some of the things that have led to, you know, him losing some grasp of having Russian control uh, combined with the fact that there was like a, a locally held election a couple of years back. And basically the opposition ran with a strategy that, you know, they knew the election would be fake and all the things. But basically they ran on the fact that just vote for the biggest opponent to Putin's party. No matter who that is, just vote for that guy. And that led to several places Putin's party losing out. Mm. And th I guess that kind of was the first crack in the Iron Curtain, so to speak, here. Mm. Which uh, probably has put him a bit on edge and might having being in a situation where he feels to if not compensate that he needs to have like you know a, a win at some point to brag about yeah that's the thing about being a dictator with you know near total control of your kingdom <laughs> to call it that uh it's that you have to maintain that control because i mean he's always had this you know his oligarch friends and we speculated, I, we did an episode on Putin, our most popular episode. Thank you, Troll Farms. <laughs> but uh, yeah, in that episode... How are you doing, FSB friends? Yeah, but in that episode, we asked the question, how, how powerful is Putin? Is he on top of a pyramid with his oligarchs and everyone else beneath him? Or is he just, you know, the figurehead of a group of oligarchs? What's the power, power relationship here? between him and the others. And I, I still don't ha still don't have a clear answer for that. I read a um, bit about that. Um, and I think my, my conclusion so far is that he controlled the oligarchs, at least for a while, because when he got in power about, you know, the turn of the millennia, essentially, like, he, he, you know, he went to the oligarchs because they had a lot of uh, power during Yeltsin's regime. Mm. And he basically went to them and said, like, Hey, I'm going to make sure you guys stay rich. And if you don't fuck with me, I won't fuck with you. Mm. And then some of them fucked a bit with him because they disagreed with him or, you know, had different opinions. Yeah, but those guys, they shot themselves in the head and jumped and, off a balcony. <laughs> you know, things happened. <laughs> and the fact that, you know, every time some of them showed some opposition, they, they went hard. Also, you know, we're talking like people... They're going to jail, they're sitting in jail, they're going out, then they leave, and they live in like a foreign country, and then they die in that foreign country. Mm. You know, he probably had solid control, and you could, you know, see that, you know, there was like the Olgard period before Putin with a lot of people, and then there were like, you know, all of the oligarch who were Putin's friends were the only one who remained. <laughs> uh, so he probably had good control. Right now, it feels like he might starting to be losing some of it. And I think some of that can be attributed to the fact that there's going to be a regime change pretty soon in terms of that a lot of the oligarchs 
are you know Putin's age or older, so they have to start delegating. He's to, 67, I think. Yeah, so they have to start to delegate or to you know bring their heirs into the business, which tends to be family members. And while there's only been so much speak with them, it seems like those family members, especially if they were raised in the West, seem a bit more happy to say that you know Russia is kind of shit at the moment. Yeah, and I mean. When you think about the sanctions that have been hitting them, uh, you brought up the sanctions that came after the Kremlin, the uh, no, no, sorry, the Crimea, the invasion of Crimea. The invasion of Kremlin is in the future, <laughs> but yeah, uh, the sanctions that hit Russia then, uh, they're as far as I understand it, they are nothing compared to the sanctions hitting them now. And when it comes to all these oligarchs, they have a lot of value, different kinds of value in sitting in you know foreign countries and all of these oligarchs they have kids kids and all their family who yeah i mean they want to go to go on a yacht trip to you know europe and shit they yeah they have a lot of places they want to go that aren't russia and right now all of that is uh, threatened and basically halted so this, in combination with, like you said, the new generation of oligarchs that are rising, uh, how will that affect, you know, Putin's grasp on power? And there's also been a lot of speculation about Putin's health, that he may be sick. Uh, maybe. I mean, I don't know if vampires can die naturally, <laughs> but that's a possibility. And, yeah, I mean, in our... Putin episode we spoke about you know what will happen when Putin is gone who will take over what will how will that affect things will there just be a new new guy will uh, what's the what's this prime minister call again um, um Medvedev or something Medvedev yeah will he just be the new figurehead or will there be a more drastic change in the power <laughs> the power grasp in Russia I mean, sanctions. Yes. How do you feel about the sanctions? They don't affect me, I was about to say. <laughs> my yacht has been taken! All my rubles are worth nothing now! Oh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I mean, mean, mean... Since NATO's not going to get probably military involved, the only way you really have to hit back is economically, and it's, it's a double-edged sword in, in one way. Russia is already leading harder into, you know, China and India and, you know, making connections outside of Europe because they understand that these kinds of sanctions would show up. Uh, on the other hand, the Russian economy is not built to withstand, you know, uh, great pressure. Yeah, not over time, at least. And, I mean, as I already said, you know, the, the sanctions that they have experienced have, you know, been annoying to some of the populace is that is going to turn up uh, that will create even bigger problems uh, they even went as far as you know uh, going with the swift ban mm. which is i was unsure if they were going to go through with that one yeah and, and yeah. i was unsure mainly because um, you know to explain it to to our behold listeners and you know the the people at the fsb who may not have learned what swift is yet mikhail uh, this one's for you uh, <laughs> Base, to put it really, really simply, it's a system that, you know, work between international banks. So basically, if you're out of the system, 
you're not really going to be able to do international transactions. Yeah, but what does the system do? Like, specifically? Andy, I'm not that smart. <laughs> I, Andy, I was banking on you just ignoring this and moving on. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't understand it either. But I mean, like you said, it stops them from doing a lot of money transactions. Yeah, and, and, and you know, primarily the international ones, which... I think things like Western Union and stuff, you know, that's money transfer yeah. business. Uh, yeah, they can't use that. And, and the, the big issue with, you know, using a bomb like this, and this is why they've been afraid of using it, is that you use this weapon once, China will go like, oh, we can't have that happen to us. Let's build an alternative system. And, you know, that's probably going to be the result of this. And, uh, you know, Russia will join that system whenever that's, you know, ready. But it's going to put a lot of pressure on them. The yeah. Being yeah. cut off from the world is noticeable. Another big question, I mean, I already asked you this when we spoke earlier, but uh, uh, when it comes to, you know, Putin's plan, uh, because he knew that these sanctions were coming. I mean, he knew that sanctions were coming. He yeah, I mean, maybe we, didn't we could know see this because the extent of the sanctions. The, the, the Russian government has been like keeping savings, and you know that's not normal for a government to do. They tend rather to stay in debt. You know, it's kind of like a company that it's more healthy for you to stay in debt and spend that debt and create new, you know, uh, in new economy through that instead of you know just keeping your money in a mattress. But that's essentially what the government has been done and was probably one of the biggest indicators for many people who said no there's going to be a war there's a reason why they have you know that cash reserve it's because they know these sanctions will come um but uh what was the question again <laughs> well, because uh yeah the question was putin knew the russians they knew that these sanctions were coming and like you said they've been saving up uh, as far as i understand it they have a lot of gold on reserve uh but Knowing that these sanctions were going to be the result, uh, and how they would affect the you know the Russian economy, what was the what was Putin's plan? Like he knew this was coming, so why did he go through with it? Is is it because he just thinks that it's worth it? Does he think that the sanctions will end swiftly? Does he have some alternative plan? You know, to I think he banked on less resistant both internationally and nationally in Ukraine. I think, you know, he thought this was his moment because the West was weak. Uh, America just, you know, getting shat on by Afghanistan hmm. uh, with uh, Joe Biden, you know, being Joe Biden. Not, the, you know, the strongest of leaders, even though it wasn't Trump. Boris Johnson was, you know, swimming for his political life, probably yeah. saved by this invasion. Yeah. There are a lot of world leaders who are so happy there's a war in Ukraine. Yeah. Right, right, right here in Norway, we have a, a politician, Hadia Tajik. You, you skank asshole! We know what you did. Yeah, Google her name, Hadia Tajik. And, ah. you know, like, Macron was busy dealing with his re-election. Oh, yeah. Angela right. Mer Merkel had just left. So, you know, the balance in Europe was mm. completely up in flux. And I think, you know, if you take that combined with, um, you know, like, in, in Europe, we, has, we have had this crisis lately of extremely expensive, um, you know, electricity. 
because of uh, we're not producing as much as we need. And, you know, Russia sits on, I think, 40 or 60 percent of the gas that we natural gas that we're using here for heating. So I think, you know, the combination of that would lead him to think that he could keep us a bit more split and then, you know, he could go in and then if, he, if it was really quick, then maybe he could get away with it. There's one very interesting piece of information that has come out from a Russian propaganda bureau. Uh, you know, basically, you know, one of their media arms. They basically published an article for a couple of seconds that talked about the war as if it was over and Russia had won the war. Oh. And it's very obvious... I did not know that. It's very obvious that... This article was scheduled because they thought it would be done. Yeah. And then they just forgot to unschedule it and it <laughs> yeah. got published. And basically it goes full in on the fact that like Russia is strong again, we're an empire, you know, the whole the whole that thing. And that makes me more inclined to believe that part of the story. That is building a legacy? Yeah. But you know, Russia is so good at misinformation, so it's hard to it know. It could be a smokescreen. You know? Yeah, it's kind of like, uh, you know, when you're dealing with people who are like seven layers deep in irony, are they sincere right now, or yeah. is this just another layer of irony? Hmm. Regarding that, you know, uh, the enigma Russia, uh, like you said, we can't really know for sure. Is this just one more joint in their plan? Or is it a genuine fuck-up? Uh, I'd like to address that. Because uh, I don't know if you've been watching a lot of the videos taken by civilians and, you know, Ukrainian military. Uh, those motherfuckers are crazy. <laughs> yeah, those guys are going hard. <laughs> Russian warship, go fuck yourself! Ah, Snake Island. Uh, but uh, aside from, you know, just random-ass civilians and farmers stealing Russian tanks and putting them in their barns. Uh, one other thing that has, you know, been coming up is that the Russians, so far at least, are, you, they are, they were sent into this invasion with old shitty equipment and rations that uh, went out of date like five years ago. Uh, they haven't been impressive, you know, equipment-wise and logistically. Tons of tanks running out of fuel in the middle of nowhere. Uh, I saw a video of <laughs> just a bunch of... Okay, these Ukrainians are crazy. I mean, if, if, I was, if Norway was being invaded by Russia and I was driving down the road and saw a tank on the side of the road crawling with Russians, I would not drive up to that tank and say, Hey guys, can I drive you to Russia? <laughs> these guys are crazy. They just drove up to the soldiers and like, hey, are you lost? You need a ride back to Russia? And everyone laughed, even the Russians laughed. <laughs> so... Luckily for that guy, the Russians had a sense of humor. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you gotta give it to them. They do have a sense of humor. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I just wanted to, you know, bring that up because they haven't... Russia have failed to impress in many, many areas during this invasion. And like you said... We can't know for sure what the reason is. It, but we can say that if their intent was to signal that Russia is strong again, like the article you mentioned, uh, the invasion so far has done the opposite. It, it yeah, it, it's giving... 
heavily Vietnam vibes, it, I would yeah, say. It feels like they're undressing the myth of Russian military supremacy. That's what ha- that's what's happened so far. And you know, uh, uh, just watching the videos of you know captured Russians, just to take this to a human level. I mean, it's fun sh- shitting on Russia, but this is a fucking tragedy. Uh, I've seen videos of you know dead Ukrainians, of course, uh, but also these videos of captured Russian soldiers. They're fucking sad. I mean, these are young men, just boys basically, barely eighteen. And they're being sent into a war they have very little knowledge of. Yeah, and I mean, that's the truth of it. And we tend to forget it that, you know, most of the big nation states' military and, you know, probably even our own, you know, it's not those, you know, battle-hardened action heroes with, you know, yeah, they're not beards professional soldiers. that can kill dictators we see on, you know, movies. It's, you know... It's the kids that shout out to you when you're a bad in a video game. Yeah, I, I just saw a video of, you know, a captured Russian soldier, a, a group of Russian soldiers, and they were, the Ukrainians were asking them, you know, about their lives. And one guy was like, yeah, I'm a school teacher. I teach French. And I'm a school teacher. And yeah, this guy is my fucking colleague. And by all means, uh, it's a war. So... I want the ground covered and drenched in Russian blood, if that's what it takes. But these guys aren't the people who should be bleeding. These are normal people forced into a conflict they really shouldn't... They really have no business being part of. And, yeah, I think I think and hope that that will get more focus going forward. I think it will in a way because, you know... What leads me also to believe that this war wasn't really that well planned or, you know, wasn't something that was going to happen is that the Russian state media haven't really worked that hard on making a good excuse for this war. Like, sure, there's been the speeches you see, you know, Putin talking about, you know, Nazis running Ukraine and, you know, there's been some of that rhetoric that happened since the Maidan or whatever it was called, a uh, demonstration that uh, ousted the, uh, in, in in 14, that ousted the um, prime minister in, or is it, no, he's a president in Ukraine. And yeah, he, uh, oh, what was the name again? Um, and, and led to the change that, you the know. The orange guy. Uh, which, Not Trump, but. <laughs> <laughs> no, which, and then led to the Crimea incidents which is not really an incident, but technically an act of war. Uh, sorry, military operation? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, I mean, you got the fucking balls on the Russians, man. Just, just no, this, mm. this is not an invasion. It's just a military operation. But, you know, the Russian state media could have a much harder, all the bad things that's going on in Ukraine, you know, creating a narrative before the war and it seemed that that hasn't really been something they have been doing much which once again makes me question did they really plan to do this because they are correct in saying that you know russia and ukraine have you know deep national ties together so you know when russia invades ukraine that's like you know if america were to like when america invades into you know Af- Africa or you know Iraq, nobody gives a fuck. But if they were to invade K 
Canada or mm. if they were to invade, you know, United Kingdom, that's something you would have to explain in a much harder level because yeah. there's perceived familiarity between those countries and the same way except uh, you know ex exist here which means that a lot of people are like you know wh why are we going into ukraine my, my my grandmother lives in ukraine yeah yeah i mean these are basically brothers and sisters being forced to fight each other and uh yeah I mean, yeah <laughs> no further comments just fucking sucks Zelensky. That dude is a Chad. Yeah, he's a Chad. He, if there can be, if there is one winner in this war, it's Zelensky, President Zelensky, and uh, he's been getting a lot of praise, and I feel it's deserved. Yeah, uh, he. I mean, not to great man theory this, but his attitude is a big reason of you know why the Ukrainian resistance works so well. Because, you know, this yeah. is more than a military. This is a resistance of civilians mm. l taking up arms, learning to fight. Yeah, this and is, he this knows is... exactly how to play this. Like, if he has been, you know, uh, Zelensky, for you, those of you who don't know, he's kind of like... He's not like Trump necessarily in that they agree in politically, but he's like Trump in that he was a complete outsider. Like his biggest experience with politics before he got elected prime minister was playing a guy who accidentally got elected prime minister on TV. That was his <laughs> reference of politics. And, you know, he did the same thing. He got he's elected in. <laughs> and the fact that, you know, if we had had, you know, a Biden-esque liberal, uh, you know, elite guy he had left the country a long time ago mm. and you know shit like that kills morale you could you know see that you know i remember when afghanistan fell and you could read that you know the the president that left you know like oh it's already over yeah but it's you know this guy is like fuck this we're fighting everybody come join me out in the square we're fighting yeah and people are rallying behind that yeah and i mean it is inspiring I mean, and by all means, uh, just to take it down a level, this is how every president and nation leader should behave during a war. This is what should be expected, I think, of a leader. That's how I feel, at least. That being said, it's still impressive as hell. I mean, he's risking himself and his family every day in order to stay with his people and lead this resistance. And like you said, it's not... It's not just military versus military. It's an entire nation's people standing their ground against invaders. And that's how he's successfully pr framing it. And uh, yeah, I mean, I feel the praise he's getting is deserved. Uh, yeah, like I said, great man theory. But yeah, he's doing a bang-up job so far. And... I mean, I'm thinking the one easiest of the way of saying it is like he's leading by example. Yeah, he's leading by example. And, you know, like you said, if he had left the country, uh, that's basically a death, death sentence for any, any real resistance to the Russians. Him staying behind and staying alive for as long as he has, uh, even with, you know, Russian special troops hunting him, uh, yeah. And especially consider, like, the Russian casus belli here is that they're going after the Ukrainian leadership. Of course they are. Every, you know, 
military power would do so when they attack a different country. But, you know, their argument is, you know, we're not after the Ukrainians, we're after their government. Yeah. So the fact that, you know, he's digging in and staying and, you know, laying his hand across, you know, his fellow man and saying, you know, we're going to fight this together. It would have been so differently. Like, I'm pretty sure if he had left, Putin would just have declared victory at that point. Yeah, and I mean, I'm I'm thinking one of his primary objectives, Putin, uh, is getting rid of Zelensky and installing a puppet regime. Because if he succeeds in doing that, he could pull back his troops a lot sooner than, you know, with an, with an ordinary invasion. You know, yeah, I don't have, know how to, you know, phrase it, but uh, I'm thinking one of his goals was to get a puppet regime in quickly, like, you know, Belarus, and uh, maintain control of Ukraine that way. And, uh, yeah, Zelensky is stopping that from happening. And, uh, yeah, I think it's imperative that he he needs to stay until this is over, or at least... I mean, is, is there a point where, I mean, where it would be advisable for him to leave? I guess if things, if things just really go to shit if they do bomb the hell out of Ukraine. Uh, I think you do more more good on the world stage at that point. If if the yeah. war is truly lost, then I mean, he needs to be on stage everywhere and, you know, talking shit. As long as he is not captured, um, you know, he probably should stay. But, you know, that's also the thing that, you know, the more you stay, the more you risk getting captured. So there's a risk assessment there. And at some point, you know, if the Russians keep pushing, Kiev will fall at some point. Yeah. They, they have limited forces, and the Russian has almost unlimited artillery. Yeah, I mean, it all depends on how, how ruthless are the Russians willing to be and how quickly. To what degree and at what, uh, uh, at what point will they go there? Ah, one more thing about Zelensky. Uh, you know how I, I my my culture war against the old people, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> I don't like old people leading, uh, and this guy he's what forty something. Yeah, probably. Yeah, he's relatively young. Take that, old people, boomers. I want more young leaders, man. Not that Pinocchio guy we have here in Norway. <laughs> Someone referred to Elon Skarsgård as Pinocchio recently, and I just can't get the image out of my head. <laughs> he does look kind uh, yeah. of like Pinocchio. He's a real boy, though. Yeah. And he is made of wood. All right. What else? Uh, about the sanctions. Yeah. How soon do you think these uh, sanctions will go away? At what point and under which conditions? And to what extent will they be removed? I mean, I'm sure if Russia were to agree some sort of a full retreat, something could be negotiated there. But beside that, they're probably going to stick for a while. I hope so. Uh, regarding the sanctions, uh, I mean, the Russian people have been... I mean, they've been showing resistance to this uh, invasion as well. And, uh, yeah, I want to talk about that a little bit. Because 
it's hard to rise up against a dictator, especially an authoritarian, <laughs> who has shown himself to be very willing to hurt people who resist him. Uh, do you have any thoughts on, you know, Russian resistance against the regime? Because I, I, always, I always get excited when things like this happen and we see this kind of resistance at home, you know, with the aggressors. Uh, do you think there's a chance of someone forcibly changing who's in power in Russia? The Russian people, I mean? I mean, there, there's always possibilities, but right now I don't see it as happening from the people as much as, you know, it would be the military that would have to lose confidence in Putin or some other oligarchs pulling some strings. I mean, by all means, if every citizen were to go to the streets tomorrow, things would happen, but they had really good control of, you know, uh, dissidents in Russia. So, I mean, by all means, there's been demonstrations. A lot of people have been arrested, but that need to escalate a lot more if some serious results are to happen. Yeah. Mainly uh, because they have built, a, you know, a regime of, of such a strong police state, essentially, that, you know, one them... Like, it's easy to enjoy the thought of, you know, non-violent protests, you know, breaking down countries and uh, doing things. The big problem is this country is, you know, or not country, but, you know, the system is resistant to that. So you either have to have, you know, a bigger, more not so non-violent way that are, you know, in more ways challenging its power or you would have, you know, need to have, you know, much greater popular active support in the streets. Yeah, because the thing is, other countries can't really do anything about that in Russia. You can't invade Russia and forcibly remove Putin. It has to happen from the inside because, you know, nuclear war that destroys the planet. So, yeah, I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon, but... I mean, here's hoping Putin drops dead some somehow soon. That could change things. Rock shit up. Uh, lastly, China. I think China is wringing their hands right now, oh, yeah. <laughs> setting their sights on Taiwan. Uh, I think if this invasion had gone more smoothly, yeah, they would. They would be even more. I mean, they're getting ready to take Taiwan. I think. And I think they they would feel a lot safer doing it if this invasion had gone more smoothly. Uh, they're probably maybe not reconsidering, but at least weighing it weighing it over <laughs> an extra time now that things are a little bit more rocky in Ukraine. But yeah, do you think uh, China's going to take Taiwan? I mean, they're obviously wanting Taiwan, but the big difference between China and Russia is that China now they have all the time in the world. Yeah. They know that, you know, as time goes, they just get stronger and the West kind of gets weaker. So they could just, you know, outgrow Taiwan economically and almost, you know, just eat it up mm. without any military force. So they don't really need to do anything rash. On the other hand, you had Putin who had built a system that weren't built upon economy, but were built on military and by, you know, being, feeling the weakness needed to, you know, show a display of strength. Uh, 
as you said, if this had done qu gone quickly, I'm sure they would have been more open-minded to considering other alternatives. Uh, the scary thing, and this is what I'm wondering the most about this, you know, the West is doing all these sanctions, and I'm not saying it's, that's not going to have an effect, but I'm wondering if we're starting to reach the point where being sanctioned by the West is no longer a death sentence. Because at one point, if the EU and America wouldn't, you know, trade with you, that was it. Yeah, I don't think that's the reality anymore. Yeah. Uh, China is, in my opinion, the biggest threat we have against freedom, democracy, and human rights as of now and in the foreseeable future. And with them, I mean, America, they, have all, they are a military and cultural superpower. Russia, they're a military superpower. Ish. Not yeah, not really much else. They're they're not an economical superpower, uh, and China is a military and an economic superpower, and they have a lot of advantages uh, that America doesn't have. They're at least outwardly somewhat unified, you know, culturally, and you know, one China, and yeah, they have a lot going for them you know, power grab-wise. And as, as China establishes itself in, you know, in continents like Africa, they're big in Africa now. Uh, yeah, I think, like you said, uh, it won't be a death, death sentence any longer as long as you're playing China's game and, uh, you know, adhering to their lack of morals, I guess. So I do think we will be seeing a, an alternative to relying on Western economy, to phrase it a bit clunkily. So yeah, anything else? I think that's uh, pretty much it. War? What is it good for? Uh? Something apparently, if you ask Putin. If, uh, if you were healthy and NATO got involved, would you sign up for military service? No. I had to have that conversation. Uh, I, I didn't have to, but I had the conversation and I, I had to go a few rounds with myself uh, asking because, I, yeah, I was talking with my mother and uh, she was saying that, oh, it's really, you know, it's pretty crazy how you could just be, you know, forced into fighting a war. Well, welcome to life as a man. Yeah, and I mean... Enjoy your family and your privileges. Yeah, because we ended up talking about, hey, what would happen if Norway was invaded? And f first, there's the question: Would I want to serve? But then we had to. Then I had to think, hey, what are the rules? What are the laws regarding a wartime situation? And I mean, during a war, you can be drafted as long as you're yeah. below the age of fifty-five, I think. And then ah, I had to ask boomers my, win again. Yeah, I mean, and then I had to ask myself, hey, if Norway was invaded, would I be willing to fight for my country? And the quest, the answer to that question was harder to, harder to, harder for me to figure out than I thought it would be, because I think and ho I hope at least, and I think that if our country was invaded, I would feel. A, an urge to help defend it, not because, not because of you know patriotism, per se, but because I have loved ones and 
you know, I do like my country. I like Norway. <laughs> and I, yeah, I don't want borscht to be the new national dish. <laughs> I mean, uh, we just feed you enough borscht and then we, you become a weapon of mass destruction. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I hope and I want to think that, that yes, I would want to fight. However, I am not willing to be ordered... I'm not willing to risk my life in a war fighting for people I don't trust. And so I had to go a few rounds like, hey, how much do I trust or distrust my leaders? Because that's the, that was the focal point for me. Like, I, I hope I would be willing to fight, but I'm pretty sure I would not be willing to fight under our leadership. Uh, how do you feel about that? Because, I mean... I, our national motto here in Norway is, we have it so good here. Our lives are pretty swell. That, that's our, that, our go-to line. Everything, some, every time something terrible happens in the world, elsewhere in the world, we all, all Norwegians say, oh, thank God we're in Norway. We have it so good here. And that's true. Uh, but personally, I, I mean, we talked about how shitty our leaders are, our politi uh, politicians. And yeah, I mean, it's difficult. Would you? What are your thoughts? <laughs> I think I'm more likely to end up in a form of resistance than I am, you know, being just a regular military man. Um, maybe it's that's because, like, you know, with eyesight like mine, I'm probably more likely to hit the people next to me than the actual enemy <laughs> if I were to hold a gun. Warning shot! Warning shot! But uh, no, I mean. But then you go I, to prison. I don't feel very patriotic for like, and you know, wanting to fight for what we have i mean sure there are things in norway that other people should have like you know health care and shit but the, the the national loyalty for me is not particularly high on the other hand if we were to get invaded most likely it would be by a country that i mean they would drastically dec decrease our you know freedom mm. if russia comes in if it's china they're not like, you know, going to give us increased freedom and expression and opportunities. I don't get the opportunity to do this in good conscience. So I just got to say, yeah, Russia and China, they're not Nazi Germany. <laughs> we were treated very well by the, the Nazis. I'll give them that. <laughs> they were pretty terrible guys. But yeah, we Norwegians, big blonde. Yeah, and I mean, and <laughs> they still, liked us. And still, you know, if like... For some reason tomorrow, you know, Nazi Germany would reappear and invade Norway. You know, fighting back would make sense in the sense that, like, I'm not just fighting, you know, for Norway as in, you know, the current administration or, you know, the the hegemony that, you know, controls Norway now. But it's also, you know, a matter of, do you want to have some form of freedom of speech? Do you want to be able to vote? And, you know, some kind of, you know, basic human rights that are essentially put on the line and you know i'm probably you know not going to be in some form of you know like i'm not you know a soldier at heart but you know when when a resistance movement is, is building you need a lot more than just people who can shoot uh, and i guess maybe that's as well why why you know that feels more natural to join than just you know putting on you know military garbs yeah i think so too uh yeah because 
you know, yeah, I think uh, joining a resistance movement is more realistic for me personally as well. Uh, but yeah, it, it just, it made me think, like, hey, how much do I trust our leadership? And, you know, this invasion, this war, it's closer to home than anything else we've seen for quite a while. And it's probably made a lot of our countrymen think that, think about, hey, <laughs> how would I react if this was Norway and not Ukraine? And, yeah, just to end this on a, dare I say, positive note, uh, I think this war might have some positive effects in that it kind of, maybe not reinvigorated, but it kind of jolted Western democracy awake for a little moment. Ah, that's a bad way of putting it, but yeah, it gave us all a little jolt. And even though a lot of the you know outpouring of support for Ukraine and stuff, it's it's a bit superficial. It still it still showed us that hey, shit can change. And even though it's pro you know there's propaganda both ways. So the effects back in Russia, I mean, they may be exaggerated, but this has shaken, shaken Russia up a bit. And even though we don't know what's going on in Putin's head, he's probably at least a little nervous, you know, about the situation. Yeah, things are not going as planned. Yeah, things are at stake for him. So I think that this war can can have a positive effect in in the sense that it shows us that things can change because Russia for yeah, all of my life, basically, at least at least the last 20 years, they've been this nation that's just been, they've just been getting away with the shit they've been doing. They, I mean, they released a biological weapon in the UK and nothing happened. They've been assassinating people all across. They were just looking across... at some churches, man. <laughs> yeah, but they've been assassinating people left and right. Nothing has happened to them. So Russia has seemed like this untouchable monster. And now, like you said, there's a tear in the Iron Curtain. And yeah, I, I'm choosing to see the positive in that. And also, uh, I gotta say, it, it is heartening to see that this has, you know, shaken a few of my countrymen. Like my girlfriend, for example. She's been, I mean, I don't want her to be as nervous and scared as she's been, but I think it's kind of good for us to feel that fear. Because here in Norway, we, like I said, we love saying how great things are here. But we kind of forget to fight to maintain that and to spread it to other countries. And this kind of situation, I think it reminds us that we do have to do something to maintain it and defend the freedoms and the comforts we have. So, yeah, I'm choosing to be disgustingly optimistic about this. Yeah, hopefully we're realizing that we can't just sell out everything for money and then be surprised when other people are not democratic or, you know, don't have the same values. Hmm. Also, I mean, bad. also Ukraine, they've applied for EU membership now. Yeah, things might change. <sighs> Anything else? I think that's it. Yeah, Slava Ukraina. Yes. All right, bye-bye. Bye. -bye. bye.
반짝반짝.